How many dicks are too many dicks? One dick? Two dicks? Is it three dicks? What about four dicks? Five dicks? Then you might counter six dicks. But what about seven dicks? How about eight? Nine dicks? Ten dicks? Eleven dicks? Twelve dicks? Thirteen dicks? Fourteen dicks? Fifteen dicks? Sixteen dicks? Seventeen dicks? Eighteen dicks? Nineteen dicks? Twenty dicks? Twenty-one dicks? Twenty-two dicks? Twenty-three dicks? Twenty-four dicks? Twenty-five dicks? Twenty-six dicks? Twenty-seven dicks? Twenty-eight dicks? Twenty-nine dicks? Thirty dicks? Thirty-one dicks? Thirty-two dicks? Thirty-three dicks? Thirty-four dicks? Thirty-five dicks? Thirty-six dicks? It's Clerks this week on Nothing Good. Well, that is a lot of dicks. Uh, <laughs> welcome to another episode of Nothing Good. Uh, happy to be here as always. Mac, Jeff, Mr. Brown, how are you guys doing this fine evening? Doing well. Well, excited indeed. to be here. You know, someday some kid is going to learn to count from that <laughs> intro. And we will be making a difference in the world. So thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, there were two thoughts that went through my mind, Noah, as you were doing that introduction. Mm-hmm. Thought number one was, well, this is all the time we have for today's episode, folks. <laughs> <laughs> See you next week on Nothing Good. Uh, and the other That's was, right. um, as if I was watching Sesame Street, and the count just was going to go, ah, 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 ah. One ah, dicks. Two <laughs> dicks. 36 ah. dicks. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> Ah, the number of the day is 36, 36 dicks. I feel like if this was Pee Wee's Playhouse, every time 36 dicks gets mentioned, everybody just go, ah, <laughs> that is the word of the day. 
We should do a weekly word of the day here on Nothing Good, but it's always just 36 dicks. It's always. <laughs> well, ah. I'm, good after, I'm good after that introduction now, Noah. What's well, good? Well, we're well, I'm glad to, to see everybody and be here live to tape on the internet with every single beautiful person. Hello, everyone. Everyone doing all right? Everyone feeling it today? Yeah, absolutely. Uh excited. Uh excited to talk about this movie. Um, For which sure. I never talk about. It never really anybody, casually ever. comes <laughs> up anymore. <Yeah>. No, ever. <laughs> ah. No, uh, I wanted to say hello to you guys, but I also wanted to say uh, hello because we haven't got a chance to do it. Before we get into this most amazing independent film topic, I wanted to take a chance to say hello to some of the people uh, that have listened to the podcast for the first time and to some of the other people that have come back. So to, uh, to our new listeners all around the world in such countries as Venezuela, and oh, uh, the, the minor outlining uh, territories of the United States and South Africa, we say hello to our reoccurring listeners in other parts of the world, such as Canada, Mexico, Germany. Hello to you again. But a very special listen to the country of France who has joined us in large numbers. So to you, I go. <laughs> Wait, so did France overtake Denmark? France has overtaken Denmark in the, within the month of uh, March. No so, shit. So we are we are we are kicking it in France right now. Well, Just bonjour. Like, uh, yeah. Didn't see that coming. No, no. We'll take so, it though. So and to you and your wonderful croissants, I say thank you and welcome. <laughs> if you don't immediately um, regret this decision, stay tuned. One one of my proudest moments where France is concerned. Uh, a uh, a a gentle friend of the show. I'm not going to call him a friend of the show, but he's uh he's working his way in. Uh, my my best friend Mike. Uh, he did a study abroad in France, and uh, after some finagling, I was able to get the phone number for his apartment. Mm-hmm. And I just had a great idea where I would just prank call him in French. <laughs> and I learned I learned like three things to say. One of them, the last thing that I learned to say was like very obscene. It's something to do with the vagina and, and you know, fucking it. Um, and like when I finally got it, I called him. I said it. You know, he was like, who, you know, said, who is this? And French and then hung up. Then I called him back again, said another thing, said the same obscene thing. He hung up, did it a third time. And like finally in English, it's like, who the fuck is this? And I just started laughing. <laughs> because this was this everybody was before caller ID. So you could mm. still prank call people. Um, I also learned a very valuable lesson with this, ladies and gentlemen. Back in 2002, 2003, somewhere in that area, it cost $2.52 a minute to call France. Mm. Did not know that until the phone bill came. You learned uh, a valuable lesson there. Look, the great the Barbie great Mac was not thrilled. It was not Barbie <laughs> Mac that came to talk to me, Jeff. Oh, uh, no. Jimmy Mac. It was, it was Jimmy Mac where, voice. where he just he walks up. He just walks up, slams the phone bill down, and he goes, Who the fuck are you calling in France? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I was I was calling Mike. What's going on? And he's like, Did you know it cost two dollars and fifty-two cents a minute to call France? I said, No, I didn't. He's like, Well, now you do gave me the bill and he's like i'm not paying for this and just walked out of the room <laughs> oh. that's when i learned about uh phone cards uh, yeah. mm-hmm. so, long distance mm-hmm. calling yep, yeah long distance calling. international rates and all of that fun back stuff. in those days 
Well, uh, speaking of, of things being international, uh, our subject today was quite the international sensation. I mean, of all things, it was a huge, I mean, could you say one of the, if not perhaps even the most important independent film, certainly of the 90s and perhaps ever, Clerks, the the breakthrough film from Kevin Smith. Jensi, excited? I am. I am super excited. This is one of my all-time favorite movies. That's classic. And for for some insider baseball, this was not the movie we were intending on recording about today. Nope. Uh, we had another film or set of films that we had planned for, but I said, "Not today, sirs. This is episode thirty-seven." And when I think of thirty-seven, I think of thirty-seven dicks. Mm-hmm. And when I think of thirty-seven dicks, I don't think of a giant circle jerk. I think of clerks. <laughs> there's some connections here, I guess. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of dots being connected here. So yeah, um, so episode 37 as an homage to the film to Kevin Smith. Uh, here we are to talk about clerks. Super excited. What, what what were we going to cover? I don't even remember anymore. I've blacked it out. I, yeah. I, I have no <laughs> recollection now. <laughs> it's like when we, when we deleted it from our internal calendar. <clears throat> it just left gone. my mind. Yeah. 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 Do you yeah. know, Vandergrift, what we were going to do? No, I have no idea. I just, I just know that Jeff <laughs> put remember. his fucking foot down and said, listen here, <laughs> motherfuckers, this is what we're covering. And I said, fine, sure, man. Yeah, I, angry. I, sh- I shifted my focus on what we were going to be talking about as soon as you said clerks and whatever else it was just completely, completely dropped my mind. Uh, I have to say, though, Noah, that this is maybe the second or third most important independent film of all time because empire strikes back and return of the Jedi were self-financed by George Lucas. Well, that you could, you could make a, a, a whole argument for that. I would then want to counter with what the definition of independent film is, which we don't have fucking time right. for today. Uh, but I would guarantee that you, you absolutely knew that when they finished the print on empire, that George was going to find distribution for that movie. <laughs> but for me, what I refer to as the three kings of independent film, which does not have either of those two films on there, d- distribution was far from guaranteed. And ultimately, it's through luck and persistence that we saw these movies. And, and at the very tip in the, the last made of them is indeed Clerks, which of what I refer to as the three wise men, uh, the three kings being uh, Reservoir Dogs and Desperado and Clerks. Clerks was the one that was made the latest for the least amount of money. So, I mean, and really just talk about game changer right there. But um, but I do want to let our resident Kevin Smith aficionado, Jafar, kind of take the helm on this one. But I will at least offer one gentle segue before we do. And is that, gentlemen, what are we drinking on this fine, fine day? I'll go first. I'm drinking. Uh, it's called Hazeway IPA. It's a hazy IPA from Winding oh, yeah. Path. Uh, cool artwork. It's got a Yeti drinking the same beer can that I'm holding. Uh, they're based out of York, PA, which is in Eastern PA, just outside of Harrisburg. It's pretty good. I have had the Hazeway and quite enjoyed it as well. Anything with a Yeti on it or a dinosaur on it, as a grown man, <laughs> I have to drink it. So uh, I'm drinking a vanilla porter from Breckenridge Brewery basic but it's delicious and it, and it fits the end of winter before it, it fucking just fucks right off into that good night so tasty 
Uh, I'm uh, having uh, myself uh, a night owl uh, uh, from Elysian. I've had it before, and I think Halloween Havoc. Mr. Halloween Havoc. The there end, we go. Yeah, that the fucking yeah, yeah. marathon that was Halloween Havoc. We <laughs> are pounding night out. Still, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's right. So Some that's, that's why it tastes like them. bitterness. <laughs> Matt, yeah. what do you have? I don't. I don't know if that bodes well for the start of this episode. Um, <laughs> only because I I finished listening to Halloween Havoc, but I don't think Halloween Havoc has finished listening to me. Mm-hmm. No, there's. We're still connected. I can still feel it inside me. I don't know what that means, <laughs> but it definitely it definitely feels invasive and a little bit. Wait a minute, you know, I, violating. I I just can say you you're you just finished it. You still feel it inside you. Jones is drinking. The beer that we had when we recorded that episode and adorning the can of Jafar's beer is the key rapist from that episode. Uh, so we're just it's right. like, it is it is a full Halloween habit. This is this is a this is a throwback that I was not ready for. If, uh, if, <laughs> nobody's ever ready your, for it. Yeah. If no, you're drinking no. a, an, a mullet or a monster truck, Dave, I'm going to fucking lose my shit. We're going to call an audible. <laughs> I wish I was drinking out of a monster truck right now. I feel like that's the next glass I got to get. Uh, gentlemen, I'm sticking with the hard stuff uh, today. I got another uh, got another rum and coke going on here. You know, Goulet. just to go. Uh, Hello, <laughs> Goulet. So, uh, so yeah, just some uh, just sticking with the liquor right now. I haven't had a chance to go to the beer distributor to get any beer. So, you know, still got a little bit in the uh, in the old uh, rum bottle. So we're rolling with it. Drink what you got. Drink what you got. Well, speaking of, of uh, what we got, as again, I, I said I would let the mighty, mighty Jafar take the reins, but I'll start with the first question. Jafar, when was the first time that you saw Clerks? Yeah, I saw it in high school. So the movie came out in 94. I assume none of us saw it in the theaters because it wasn't really distributed in the theaters. Um, I saw it on a VHS tape uh, in high school. And the rest is history, as they say. I was immediately hooked on what I was watching. And it's so relatable and down to earth and so vulgar and filthy at the same time. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can I can fuck with this for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Mac, when did you see Clerks the first time? I was introduced to it by my brother. Uh, I want to say this was... It was it was when it was released. I think my brother rented it uh, from Instant Replay. It was definitely on VHS, and um, it wasn't really even the whole movie because I think at that stage my brother kind of realized that I wasn't going to really like relate to a lot of the movie, and that a lot of it was just going to kind of go you know right over top of my 1996 AJ Styles flow that I'm rocking today, mm-hmm. or 2016 AJ Styles. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was sometime in the mid nineties after it was released on VHS. And my brother just showed me the clip, just the segment where they were talking about all the independent contractors. So, um, and that was enough, you know, that was enough to kind of like get me involved with the movie without really being involved with the movie. So that when I kind of came back to it naturally, you know, a few years later and caught it on you know, HBO or, or, you know, Showtime or something, I was able to like really appreciate because like, oh, this is the movie that had that really funny joke in it. And I was at an age in my life where I could really understand a lot more about what was going on in it. Doc, what about you? 
Um, a zero idea. Um, I, I've been thinking about this uh, for a, a couple of days, like even ahead of watching a movie. And um, I know I've seen it. I'd say now counting the last viewing probably three times in my life. The very first time had to have been early 20s because I'd already seen Chasing Me. I'd already seen Dogma. Um, but I just, it was somewhere in like the 21, 22 age range, somewhere in there. I, to me, The Clerks was like this mystical uh, movie that I'd heard about, people talked about, but I didn't know anybody who owned it. I didn't know anybody who had actually ever seen it at the time, like, or that I really knew of. Um, so yeah, I'd say maybe like 20, 21 years old. What about you, Noah? Very nice. Um, I So I had not heard of Clerks until after I went to the theater and I, and I was an impressionable preteen and saw Mallrats and laughed my ass off about Mallrats the entire time. And then a friend of mine who was far more far gone than I was said that um, that half the characters were based off of this earlier movie called Clerks. And so um, a frequent listener and friend of the show, Steve, uh, my stepdad, uh, also was with me when I saw Mallrats. And we went to the small video store in Dormont called Incredibly Strange Video and rented Clerks. And mm. it was incredible. And it was hilarious. And uh, you talk about defining moments in your life. I think it's the first necrophilia joke that I ever remembered seeing. And it fucking changed me. <laughs> and since then, uh, you know, it's, it's seeing seeing the Kevin Smith movies as they come out. But yeah, so it was after Mallrats, uh, the, the, the whole fucking the whole scene with Bob and the Jedi and the fucking magic eye thing that I, I you know, and I relate to that because I can't see magic eye things. <laughs> so it just it, it bothers the hell out of me. And I was like, oh, that motherfucker, too. Uh, but no, yeah, for sure. For sure. It was after Mallrats. Yeah. And Mallrats was, you know, for guys our age, that was because that was the first like mainstream movie that Kevin Smith made. That was the one that most people saw first mm -hmm. because we were all kids when Clerks came out and it wasn't massively re released. I mean, it was released independently in 94, came out on VHS the next year in 95, it didn't come out on DVD and Laserdisc until 99, I think. And then the 10,000, 10 year anniversary Clerks X DVD set came out 10 years later in 2004. Um, so to give everybody some, some insight as to what this movie is about, if you haven't seen it. Yeah. Why are you uh, watching this? If you haven't. Seen yeah. Yeah. Listening it's, to uh, this. Fuck it. it's, it's a cult classic black and white comedy film. It follows two slackers who work in the quick stop convenience store and RST video, uh, the video store that's attached to it. And it follows their shenanigans of basically them just bullshitting for an entire day and getting into a bunch of crazy shit and shenanigans along the way. Now, most of us can relate to that because we all worked in retail. So I'd like to get some insight to each of you guys uh, as to how does it relate to you compared to your experience working in retail? I mean, a lot of us, three of us on this podcast worked together at the same time in retail. And we spent the majority of our time just bullshitting, just like Dante and Randall do. So, yep. yeah. So I'm going to toss it over to Noah. You can go first. 
Beautiful. Well, I got to I got to throw dibs that the the audio listeners aren't able to see that Mac Attack is in full Toys R Us regalia right now with his lanyard and the final iteration of the Toys R Us uniform uh, classic legendary. But yeah, that's that's where three out of the four of us spent a very large portion of the early to mid 2000s at was at that store for a lot of hours. And I can absolutely tell you that if anyone had uh, a never listening to this has never worked at a retail store or has only worked at a retail store since the invention of the smartphone, uh, you didn't have a lot to fucking do with your downtime. You couldn't pull up shit on your phone. You couldn't look at boobs on your phone randomly or any other horse shit or funny videos. You had to make your own time. And between uh, writing U-boats and pallet jacks and getting fucked up and choreographing lightsaber fights in the IOAs, and, all, and having useless arguments about terrible shit uh, and looking out for the girls that we were dating at the store who were stalking us. And you had to look both ways to make sure that they weren't they weren't there listening to you talk about them. It was a fucking time. And you can always say we got paid shit. And really, the work was as bad as unimportant as work could ever possibly be. You know, a fluffer has a more important contribution to society than a fucking <laughs> retailer uh, in 2004, 2003, 2007. But it was still fucking fun. And yeah, so that is something that's going to come up a lot in our review, at least on my end here, is that when we first saw the movie, when we're watching it, it's a comedy movie, but we hadn't had the life experience yet to relate to it. And then when we watched it a lot, when we were all first starting to see each other, we were all still 20 somethings. So but it was also it is so distinctly 90s flavored that it became its own thing. But now watching this for this show here, I related to way much, uh, so much more of this movie and the situations than I had anticipated uh, relating to. And the key, chief among them is absolutely fucking off at work doing literally anything you can do to avoid doing the thing that you're there and being paid to do. So 100% can verify 10 out of 10 retail experiences are accurate as depicted in this movie. As depicted. Doc, how was uh, your experience working retail in the old grocery world? Um, well, uh, for those in the audience who do not know, which most of them probably do, uh, I worked in the grocery retail business for 16 years, which is a fucking lifetime and, and a half. Uh, all levels of management outside of like actual store manager. Uh, and I will tell you, <clears throat> being a grunt and being someone who has significant responsibility, uh, the level of I don't really want to fucking be here is real. I really I, sh I, I shouldn't even be here today is very, very real. Uh, and I, it's funny, like, watching the movie over again and, and listening to Dante kind of go on and on, which I have a whole opinion on that character. Uh, but just, it, I could relate so hard to your off that there was one day in particular, one night I went out with a bunch of our mutual friends, partied my ass off, uh, caught the light rail, the T home, uh, and the, and the bus home stayed up further because I didn't have to work the next day only to get a call at about six 45 in the morning from the store manager going, Hey Herb, can you come in today? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm still kind of drunk. But if I don't come in, the building might fall apart without me. So mm. I just got to fucking go in. Uh, and I was bitter and miserable the entire day and sleep deprived. And I could just think to myself now, like, I wouldn't say I was quite as bitter as Dante was because his level of bitterness knew almost no bounds. Uh, I knew that feeling, that self-imposed, 
I have to be here because if I'm not here, this can't happen. This can't happen. The whole place might implode upon itself. That, you know, weird thought you have in your head, that, that, that emotional state you put yourself in as a, because you, you work somewhere along. And if you start feeling like what you do really matters in the grand scheme, it really doesn't fucking matter. As you said, you know, retail is important in its, in its own little bubble. It has uh, an importance, but relative to the rest of society, it's not very important. And no offense to anybody who works retail, but I fucking know the truth. <laughs> we all know. The truth. Um, We've all been yeah, in the I trenches. We know. Yeah. Let me ask before before we move along. Yeah. I just want to ask. So so the three of us worked in one place, and uh, Jones, the grocery store that he worked in, uh, was kind of central to the location that all of us lived, uh, and we all partied a lot. And I want to ask here and now for clarification, just to double check. All of us have thrown up in that grocery store's parking lot before right like we've, we've no. all we, no i don't i don't think i have one? No, never no. have nope. it's, just, it's just you no no you could do an entire geocaching <laughs> like scavenger hunt in the city and surrounding areas of places where you've thrown up in in public yeah yep and you probably <clears throat> you could probably paint a picture in retrospect but no yeah. yeah there were times where i would yeah like i i would stop at that grocery store as as you know after it was 24 hours that it was just opening in the morning and I'd throw up in a parking lot real fast and buy some Aunt Jemima's frozen French toast and go home and make it throw up and go go to sleep for the evening. But I just I just thought it was all of us. So it's just me. Just my terrible decisions. Please continue on this journey without me. <laughs> that we shall. Yeah. Mac, Matt, what was your experience? You know, gosh, I, I feel I feel like I'm the anti-clerk. Not in terms of the movie or how I feel about the movie, because I, I absolutely fucking love the movie. But I loved working retail. Like mm-hmm. I I love Toys R Us. I love the people there. I mean, the closest friends in my life that I have are from that place. You know, many of you met your wives there, you know. Um, like it, it shaped so much of of who I am because of what I found when I was there. Now, for 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 people that that know me, will know that um, I have been a big toy person my entire life. Like I've always loved action figures, and you know, I collect a lot of stuff. I mean, that was a big part growing up, and I was very fortunate that my brother had a lot of things growing up that I got to use when I got to that stage. You know, he had a lot of GI Joe and He Man and you know, um, Star Wars stuff. And then I got there and then, you know, my mom would pile on the Ninja Turtles and Legos and micro machines and, you know, Ghostbusters, the real Ghostbusters and, and, and all sorts of other weird kind of shit. But like, I loved it. So being in that environment, I, I have nothing but like great things to say about it. Like even as shitty as the work was, I always tried my best to do my best while I was there. Uh, only because I, I just appreciated the world that I was in so much. It was hard for me to be miserable. And, and as you guys will know, there was a time that I worked at Toys R Us that my life was fucking miserable. Yep. Um, and I still, I still got on that fucking trolley every day and rolled into work and did my eight hours and then hopped on the trolley and went home and you know, had nothing left at the end of the day, but I still fucking did it because I loved being there. It, it was really a, an important thing in, in my life that I went back to it 
You know, when I had mm-hmm. when I had a, a a time in my life where I needed to make a few extra bucks uh, to take care of some things, Toys R Us is where I went, and I I kind of slid right back into that role and um, still enjoyed it even to that day. And I, I worked there until the store closed, so um, I was maybe like the last clerk in that regard where where that is. <laughs> so um, you know, it's uh yeah, but the 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 fuckery as you guys had mentioned, was so real. And I think that was the other thing that I just loved because we were all the same age. We had, there was like 20 people in that store that worked there. They were all within like 18 to 24. And, you know, it it was, for us, it was like our college, you know, it was Mm -hmm. like our friends that we had outside of class or our friends in class, you know? Uh, And those are friendships I've got, I've, I made for the rest of my life. So yeah, I, I, uh, Nothing but good things. And I, I loved every aspect of that job. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with the fuckery. I mean, that's the best word to use <laughs> oh, in, God. This, in this True. instance, you know, and I worked a number of retail jobs. You know, Toys R Us was my last retail job before I made it into the real world of a working adult. But uh, what I thought was interesting watching this film back, and I've watched this film a ridiculous number of times, but it's sort of changed or it's evolved over time in terms of how you relate to the experiences. Cause like at first you're just like, Oh yeah. Like I can relate to Randall. Cause he just wants to fuck around. Like he doesn't really care. But now like watching it back, you're like, Oh yeah. I could see myself in one of these situations minus fucking a dead guy uh, hmm. at, at any point throughout my career. Uh, unless you're into <laughs> that. I mean, there's a, there's a time and place for it. And, and it's so real you know, speaking from experience and, you know, Kevin Smith wrote this film from personal experience. It was just basically his story of working there. He worked there in the daytime. He filmed in there at night, which is why the shutters were gummed closed because they were filming all at night. So there was no natural daylight uh, coming into the store. So that's how they worked around that. But it was just personal experiences with all of his friends and the entire cast was his friends. The only two real actors were Dante and Veronica, uh, everyone else was just friends and, and it was all from personal experience. So I, I think, you know, from working in retail, being able to relate to that, I think it's, it's a pretty powerful way to connect to an audience for a film that really was done on a gorilla budget. It was done in a gorilla style. And it was just one guy's like, I'm, this is the thing I know. And I was reading an article a while back about he was reading an article about El Mariachi and Robert Rodriguez was just like, well, I shot with people I knew and I shot with things that I had. So I had a location, I had a guitar case. So I used those. And he's like, well, what do I have access to? Oh, I could probably shoot it in the convenience store where I work because I'm not doing any work while I'm there anyways. And the rest, as they say, is history. So it's, (laughs) it's kind of a cool thing to see it all come together that way and to be able to, you know, see how it changes your perspective, perspective over the years. But looking back on it now, I mean, the film's been out for 27 years. How has it changed for you guys in terms of the way you, you see it or the way you watched it? If you haven't watched it in a long time, you know, how, how has it, your perception of it changed? Well, well, if I may, um, real quick, I, I, I'll make this very, very brief because I, I have, I don't have a ton to say about that particular subject, but I will say that 
I remember the first time I watched it, I enjoyed it. I didn't love the movie, but I enjoyed it because at that point I already knew like, you know, the type of film it was and, and there was like a really tight budget. I didn't know all the details, but I knew, you know, it was a special film because of its reception and the accomplishment of it. Now, now I've seen it maybe one more, one or two times since then. Fast forward uh, to early last week, watched it again. Uh, and I will tell you, <laughs> I don't feel like the movie aged very well. Uh, I, and I don't know if it's just because I'm older and I just, uh, like the jokes aren't as funny to me. Uh, they don't really hit the same way. I'm not as immature as I was or find the same things as funny. Uh, I felt like a lot of the humor was super juvenile, which is fitting because when I enjoyed it, I was much more juvenile. Uh, I still think, I hold the movie in high regard because of the accomplishment and what it meant for filmmaking in general. And what, you know, with some grit and determination, what you can accomplish when you're determined and sleep deprived. (laughs) Um, But man, my wife watched it with me. She'd never seen the movie before. And she's just like looking at me like, what the fuck is this? And I'm like, well, <laughs> we're a lot of people like this movie. She was like, I mean, it's kind of funny, but these are some really shitty jokes. I'm like, well, this is like 1994. Yeah. It, people talk. It's written like a college kid wrote it in the nineties. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but for me, it's less about how good the movie is because in my mind, the movie's not particularly amazing but it's about what it means in filmmaking, what it what it meant for how many probably uh, potential filmmakers it, uh, you know, uh, inspired and, and bolstered to do something special or important with their lives. So uh, while although Dante is in fact a dickhead, man, he's a big dickhead of a character mm-hmm. uh, who I kind of want to punch him in the face the entire fucking film. Oh, man. Honestly. Yeah, um, for sure. I don't want to jump on you, but yeah, like he is. Yeah, he is absolutely. No, face please, that's fine. No, yeah. For sure. Totally face punchable. The entire time. The entire time. Um, But yeah, I thought it was a special film for what it meant, but as in a great entertaining film, that's all right. Mac, thoughts? Oh, wow. Jeez. So I, I got a number of thoughts about the movie, about how it's changed and how it's kind of aged for me. Um, First off, I just remember how I, I guess it's the it's the voice of the film, right? Is I think the most important thing that I think has stayed consistent through my my you know evolution of the film and 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 how it's kind of changed with me as I've gotten older. You know, when you first watch that movie in the late nineties, early two thousands, you know, that movie generationally is us, right? Um, or just before us, you know, like, like you, like if, like they were the senior, you were the freshman. So you're still speaking the same language if you're not feeling the same emotions, but Mm -hmm. you have, you have a voice of that movie that is us, you know, that, that generation of individuals um, outside of high school, not really feeling college, kind of going to college, not sure what you want to do, but you got this job and it's kind of cushy and you kind of just, fall into it and it's just regardless of how much you might hate it or how much you might love it or anything when like you said uh when uh jones when they'll call you at six o'clock in the morning and say so and so called off we need you to come in today you're gonna fucking do it because you're important in that world 
whichever whichever world it is and it's important to you at the same time um so that part of it always kind of stayed the same even though my understanding of the voice of the film changed and i think when i watched the last time the final section of the film when you know randall and and dante are yelling at each other and they have the fight and and you know randall kind of says what he says dante that kind of puts dante in his place you know that never really kind of hit me until the last time i watched it the that that finality of you know don't fucking blame me for your shit your shit is your own responsibility and what you do with your shit regardless of my role and how these things came about is still your shit and i just kind of thought to myself i was like man like that was that was me when i was 22 23 24 years old right um it's just by understanding of it because you know you get the you get the you get in with the jokes oh the star wars thing oh the 36 blowjobs uh we're gonna go ahead and close the store for an hour to play street hockey only to play for 10 minutes because the fucking ball gets lost right we got to close the store because we're gonna go to a funeral and then all fucking hell breaks loose but you know you get into that but then you kind of like realize the actual kind of story that it tells and i give kevin smith um all the credit in the world because you know i look at clerks as maybe the greatest college movie ever made like it's it's such a great final thesis um you know jeff noah we never i never really had conversations with you guys about your experience in film school versus like my experience in film school we've all been involved in each other's shit. we've all worked on each other's projects we've all watched them um but like we were never we never sat in the class together when those final projects were being presented to like the rest of the class right um i remember in my in my class you know i i did one of my final films that i did that you guys all worked on each of you worked on was endgame right mm -hmm. and you know that film wasn't made to like say something about politics it wasn't made to like fucking have some deep message about the environment or anything it was a fucking video. It was like a Call of Duty style video game. It was Left for Dead in the Woods, and the, and it was poppy and fun and and you know bullets and explosions and all sorts of shit. Um, and everybody made like these very meaningful things, but I made kind of this thing. And like I look at Kevin Smith and and you know knowing his story as as, as I do as Jeff does. You know we're both big Kevin Smith fans. He's just like I got this fucking story to tell. It's not a story that anybody else wants to tell. It's very uniquely mine, and it has a voice for people that don't that, that don't have that voice. So here it is, and that's why it was so successful. Not because the movie was really very good. I think in a lot of ways it wasn't very good as a movie, um, but it fucking had a voice, and and that's just what's always stuck with me. Agreed. Noah, your thoughts? Yeah. No, so yeah, so I I think I think it's interesting to kind of piggyback on what the two of you said about how the film we interpreted it then versus the realization I had now. Um, I mean, yeah, what when you're a kid watching or you're a young man or even God, uh, ten years after the movie came out, we were watching it because we wanted to watch a Jane Silent Bob movie or watch a funny movie that had funny jokes in it, right? Uh, and now we watch movies because for different reasons we get something out of it more and i i think you can in clearly see that that there aren't a lot of comedies nationally released anymore that are just funny for the sake of being funny 
think the hangover was probably the apex of that series. And then, then you don't really get a lot of comedies for comedy's sake. They're just, they're a superhero movie that happens to be really funny or a horror movie that happens to be really funny or, or a lot of comedy TV since we've seen the Renaissance of that happen, but this was still back when movies were funny to be funny. And now we can recognize the voice. And I want to piggyback on what Jones said about the movie, not aging. Well, I think in ways the film has aged incredibly well because still to this day, the dialogue and the phrasing of the dialogue stands alone. Uh, there are still no movies that sound the characters speak to each other like clerks for better or for worse. The way that Dante and Randall speak to each other, or even the fact that Rodney Randall speaks to the random chick outside the video store is still a voice unique to this film in this period of Kevin Smith's life. So I think in that way it aged great and it doesn't sound terrible. I think where the, the aging process comes um not counting the film quality because it was shot on VHS, right? And uh, that is its own iconic time frame and in, in cinema in everyone's lives. But I think it is the humor. But I don't think it's the fault of the jokes because in 1994, these jokes were cutting edge. A lot of these jokes, having sex with dead chicks, how many dicks have you sucked, sucking your own dick. These are all like no one's putting that shit in mainstream film, much like uh, that there weren't fart jokes in movies before Blazing Saddles. Right now, it's like, oh, it's a fart joke, fucking passe, get over it. But it's, it was fucking cutting edge then. My problem is, I think, is that this movie inspired a lot of shit. And it is juvenile. And it inspired a lot of juvenile stuff that came out after it that was probably definitely more commercially successful and probably better done, like South Park and Family Guy. That's this type of humor and that kind of voice and those kind of strange interactions between characters and these comedic pretexts that that this movie inspired, but then they ended up, you know, it's, it's like saying rock and roll. It's like Chuck Berry. You give respect to what Chuck Berry did, but then when you talk about the quality of what Chuck Berry did, and then you play Led Zeppelin, you're like, ah, ah I see what you're going to do. And then Greta Van Fleet comes out and you're like, ah, I just don't, I just don't get it anymore. But back to clerks, I think there's, there's a lot and the voice that has in this film is interesting because you interpret it young as a young person just trying to make a good movie, just trying to watch a good movie, just trying to have fun. But this is really this guy's magnum opus on his 20s, or at least his early 20s, figuring out where the fuck his direction should go in life. Right. And ironically, making this movie was him picking his direction in life, criticizing himself for working a retail job that seemed to have no end and using that story to pull him up by pull himself up by his bootstraps, which, you know, and, and that gets told several times over, over the course of his films with mall rats and clerks too, and chasing Amy and so forth. Right. So I think you get in Jersey girl to a certain extent as well. We don't uh, talk about that one. No, well, yes, <laughs> no. So, but I mean, still there's a voice to, in all of that, even if it's a bunch of people yelling dick jokes, there's still a voice there. So I mean, I respect it. I, I, it's interesting. It's feeling, it's like hearing a song and not paying attention to what the lyrics were about. And then 20 years later, listening to the same song and now you can hear the words and it, you either like it or dislike it because of that a little bit more. So yeah, no, I mean, it's, it, it, how could you not interpret it differently? I guess is the, is the way I, I pity the person who gets the same thing out of the movie right. 25 years later. Right. What about you, Jeff? Yeah. I, I agree with uh, most of what everybody's saying. I mean, I, I do feel like there are certain parts that didn't necessarily age well. And as I watch it back now, 
all these years later, it's like, I can pick up all the flaws. Like mm-hmm. you can tell it's very amateurish, but it's not really a story type movie. It's a character study really at the end of the day, it's about the relationship of these two guys and everyone that's sort of in their circle circle of influence. And it's very dialogue heavy, which was, is not common, especially in, in independent films, which is, I think, part of what made this such a landmark indie film is that, you know, for such a small budget with zero uh, expertise or experience to create something that people were sort of emotionally tied to, I think is a, is a pretty powerful thing. And, and it's all about the dialogue and some of the jokes were funny then and are funny now. And some of them were funny then and aren't funny now. And some of them weren't funny then and aren't funny now. Uh, and that's all Kevin <laughs> Smith. I mean, uh, the cast and crew and for most of all of his films, he allows zero improv when he's producing a movie, everything is verbatim to the script and he gets pissed off when it's not to the script. I mean, to famously we'll cover it one day. I'm sure I'd love to cover, but uh, Jan sound of strike back. Will Ferrell's problem is that you put fucking Will Ferrell in that movie yeah. who does only improv and you tell him he can't. Uh, and, and it creates friction on set. Uh, and they, he did let Will Ferrell do one thing and, and, and it was funny, right? The jet, bit but i also want to piggyback on you there vanegar about something else and it, that can't be understated for the film is that this was a movie that was shot on vhs recorded only the most basic uh with the most basic tools available to kevin smith because he couldn't afford anything else and even if they did no but he didn't have anyone that knew how to operate it you know like you didn't have someone randomly in jersey that knew how to operate a dat recorder <laughs> right so so it's fucking the most basic stuff and i think uh in a lot of ways that might help with a jarring transition to the movie being available in HD and 4K and 5.1 Dolby Digital, as a lot of us might have watched it this last couple of weeks. And uh, a movie that I eventually want to review on this show does I had the exact recent problem with, which is the original Toy Story movie, which is a gorgeous movie at the time and a wonderful thing. That if you close your eyes and you picture Toy Story, you're going to f- have it look a certain way in your head. But I promise you that if you were to go on Disney Plus right now and put on the 4K enhanced version of Toy Story, you're going to see shit that you never realized was happening in front of your face because now you can see it. Now you can see all of it and it's out there. So, I mean, it's in a lot of ways, it takes this film, particularly Clerks, and makes it more bare. Yeah, because, you you know, at that time we were watching films on a screen this big or by now and now everything's in HD or 4K this big and you're like you can see every minute detail and it it does not blend well to films that are made in this particular style no no i mean we used to listen and listening and as we all know sound is super important in movies and it's it gets it's criminally underrated in all all film but the idea that we this was a movie that was all for all intents and purposes meant for you to listen to on tv speakers on a four by three crt tv and you put that in a sound bar after it's been digitally processed. And that's why you can hear people crinkling things, you know, uh, but you couldn't really ever pay attention to. Or you hear where obviously the audio didn't age well in the master. So they doubled up some ambience track behind it. So why is that suddenly beefier? 
in my version of this movie. But yeah, so it's it's interesting. It does take you out of it a little bit when when you try to when you look at the filmmaking aspect. But the movie being so dialogue heavy, it ultimately pulls you back in to and and I but I also think as a good transition here, uh, I think in a lot of ways this movie less is more works for this movie. It absolutely does. Um, some of the pe- the camera work that they have to do because they didn't have multi camera setups going at all the time and and uh, the scene I want to draw everyone's attention to is when they're on the way to Julie's funeral and they're having the conversation in the car about sucking your own dick and breaking your neck and it's just Kevin Smith panning back and forth yeah, between just the sitting two in the back seat yeah and then he hits that gag that when Dante just looks at him and doesn't say anything you get the pan back anyway and it's fucking perfect it doesn't need to be anything more mm-hmm. than that. It was fucking perfect. So sometimes, ultimately, less is more. So, Yeah, and it, it all comes down to the relationship and being able to capture intimate moments between these two guys who are these two lifelong friends. And Dave, you mentioned, you know, you really catch that when Randall is bitching at Dante and really putting him in his place. And then you see that in future films i mean the same thing happens in clerks too when they're in jail and he puts in his place again you know like quit being a fuck up like this is our destiny like this is who we are this is what we're all about but you know talking about the camera angles and the way it was shot i just want to touch briefly on the style of the film because it's very different than uh most films even of the time what do you guys think of the overall style the black and white the title cards that sort of how the flow of that goes what what are your guys thoughts on that overall well clerks if you were to take a stage play and make a movie out of it or if you're going to take a movie and make a stage play out of it clerks is perfect Perfect it's it is so it is so you know single set location heavy dialogue people coming in and out they only leave the building really twice in the movie, right? One to go to the funeral, and then they really just go upstairs to play hockey on the roof. Um, you know, so coming from and, and and having done a lot in that world, you know, I, I can see that. But, you know, a, a stage play doesn't work as a movie unless you do something around it to make it work, right? And that's a lot what you see about the design elements of it, you know, where the the nine different breaks in the film, you know, Kevin Smith kind of put that in to represent, you know, Dante's like nine rings of hell, you know, which I think is so interesting. I didn't even know that until recently when I was doing some more research on this. And uh, funny as much stuff as I've I've listened to Kevin Smith talk and and heard all the stories and you, you always still pick up new things about him, which makes him so interesting. Um, and it's not, it's not a surprise that this film works because I, I don't think this movie works if anybody else other than Kevin Smith makes it hundred percent. Um, because the dude is such a good storyteller in any capacity, in any medium, whether it's a film, if it's a stage show, if it's a podcast, you know, uh, if he's doing stand up, he just knows how to captivate an audience and, you know, you see that here, but yeah, the aesthetic, I like that it's in black and white um, because I think that if you're doing this in color, you probably lose the fact that you need to focus on the characters 
I think the black and white really lends to that. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of my thoughts about some of the aesthetic of the film and, and kind of how it was made in that regard. Yeah, I'll piggyback on that and toss it up to Doc to elaborate um, as the as the master of aesthetics here on Nothing Good. But um, I I agree. I don't think the film works without it. I've I I don't know if anyone else did it, but did you pop on YouTube and see Clerks Colorized? Yeah. On there and um, yeah, I didn't thought about. That. I didn't now, but I've I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right at all. It's it's still the dialogue is a dialogue. No amount of saturation or desaturation is going to change that. But yeah, without that particular style, and it's also, I can't believe it t- it's taking me this long to mention this. This movie and this look with the black and white and the random white type on black uh, cards that we get a lot is one of the most quintessential '90s things to ever exist. <laughs> It's like it boils down how many pseudo pretentious art house independent films just fucking look like this movie, either ironically or unironically. If you were to like, uh, I don't know, make a gag, make a sketch about a 90s uh, independent art statement, it's going to fucking look like Clark's is what Juli- it's going to do. Juliet Lewis. Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> on cocaine. Right. So, but still, right. It's that it, it is so 90s and it's so I, you can't change it. You couldn't change it. And I'm not one of those people like, don't change my thing. It's like, fuck it. The world changes. But this movie exists. And part of the reason a lot of other things exist is because this movie exists when it does, how it does, and looks the way it does while it does it. So, yeah, it, it hit in a certain pocket of time that lent itself very well to it. And I think if it would have landed, Three years prior, three years later, I don't think it would have landed the same. Nope. Yeah, there, there's that that period of time where, you know, the mid '90s was such a transitional period in Hollywood because digital technology came to Hollywood. So you Sorry, you now yeah. had yeah you 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 start to see that changeover from if we're going to do something with practical effects, it's going to cost a shit ton of money to do it. Now we have this new digital tool. To go ahead and basically the fucking the 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 imagination is open. Whatever you can think of, we can now put on screen, regardless. Um, and then right in the middle, as all of this changeover starts happening, is this fucking film, right? That has that is the opposite of everything. You know, this movie is the complete opposite of Jurassic Park in every way, shape, and form, right? I was just gonna mention that analogy, yes. You know, it's completely different of Independence Day. Um, and it needed to be because you have to remind people that stories aren't just about, and we probably need that today in Hollywood too, but stories aren't just about, you know, fucking comic book movies and Cape Crusaders and, and flashy battles and stuff versus, you know, giant franchise tent poles. You know, you got to have these other stories that go out there too. Um, you know, it, it kind of set things right for what came in the late nineties and early two thousands on the other side of that spectrum. Doc, you look like you're deep in uh, thought. Well, before I, I, well, I just, you know, before I get started, uh, you mentioned Juliet Lewis's name one, two more times. You watch your fucking mouth. You will invoke her spirit. And she will appear <laughs> in your home and she will move in. You will never get a wink of sleep. Don't, just don't threaten me with a good time. Just fucking watch over my shoulder, guys, because like if you start to see hands <laughs> door just coming through their closet, <laughs> just like oh, start pushing shirts over. Like I don't fucking 
need that. And then I get a knock on the door. It's like some dude <laughs> yeah. just fucking there. Like I'm here for the gangbang. Like I don't need that. Yeah. I'm, I mean, we, we, uh, in an episode that will air later, <laughs> in an episode that aired later, you uh, that will air in the future. You guys accuse me of possibly summoning Rudger Hauer. Uh, at which point we point out that he's been dead yeah. for quite some time. And you guys also pointed out that that wouldn't <laughs> stop Rudger Hauer. And I don't think that would stop Juliet Lewis. Yeah. either. <laughs> I was so meta to reference yeah. an episode oh, that hasn't come out yet. That's the second fucking time. <laughs> I haven't said it. Oh my god! Just for what look between alpaca bypass and Julia Lewis, shit just pops out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, to to the question uh, posed to me, uh, I think that aesthetically, I think the style of the movie is exactly what it needs to be. Uh, I'm a big fan of black and white. Uh, I, it's funny. Also, my wife is watching this. And she's like, I don't understand why it's in black and white. And I'm like, well, you know, it was just cheaper that way. And she goes, but and now she's my wife knows nothing of filmmaking outside of what little bits um, she can grab from me or, you know, the media in general, but very little. And I'm trying to explain to her like, no, he had no money. This is just cheaper. This is easier. This is just this is what this this made more sense in the grand scheme. She's like, but just but it's color. I'm like, it's it's a it's a money thing, but it been. Benefits. And I had to explain it like this, this is this is perfect, right? Because this movie, outside of the fact that now I would I actually do plan on checking it out in colors. I'm actually really curious what that would feel like. I think that black and white lends to intimacy uh, because when something is in black and white, you your your mind fills in the blanks. Like you don't know the color of that shirt or the color of the wall or the color of the hair, even potentially. You don't know the complexion necessarily. You don't know, you know, the fine details, but your brain fills it in without you realizing it. You, it allows you to be part of the story because you don't have all the information. So you become a part of that. And I think on a deeper level. Mm. Um, and I, I didn't want to say that uh, a, a, a big thing about like, I mean, yes, it's cheaper and they didn't have a lot of money. So they had, you know, really just the shop the video store and you know the outside spaces but i think there's beauty in filming in one location exclusively in a film you've got to have the right story for it but i think when you as the the passenger on this journey on the story are in one space for an hour and a half or two hours you become attached to that space it becomes very familiar it becomes its own character. Like that space is the other character. It's not just Randall and Dante. And that's like I wrote that in my my notes. I'm like this. The space is the third wheel. Yeah. Not it's it's the it's it's not even a supporting character. It is the other character starring Quick Stop. Right. Like I think that's something I'd never noticed before, and how important that character is because that character is the catalyst for everything. The whole nine yards. That, um, so yeah, uh, I think that uh, that the style was excellent. The choice, even though it was because of the shoestring budget, but I think it it made the the experience more intimate, even for somebody like me who doesn't necessarily love the film, but I can absolutely appreciate the style. Yeah, it, it definitely adds an intimacy level to it. Um, and you know, so the reason that it was black and white initially, I said, yeah, because it's more artsy and it just fits. But it was really because the fluorescent bulbs in the quick stop were so harsh that 
they figured it would be too expensive mm. to try to color grade it while they were editing. So they're just like, let's just take all the color out, adjust the levels, and you get clerks, the style of clerks. And like clerks too, color works. Like I don't think black and white would work in clerks too. But I think I think the style was it was the right style for the right time for sure. Jones, you make a great point about the convenience store, about how it's the care how it's the third character in the in the movie. Um and it's not just that it's a convenience store. It's a shitty convenience store. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's not just that it's a shitty, it's not just that it's a video rental place. It's a shitty video rental place. You know, you have that scene where Randall goes to the good video store looking, you know, looking for the, the porn that he's looking to get and everything, right? And you just kind of see how big and open and, and, and just inviting that it is. And it's just this wonderful place. You know, and you, you could see that with other convenience stores, too. You know, convenience stores in Western Pennsylvania are a big thing. Yeah. You know, in Pennsylvania, they're a big thing with Wawa and Sheets and Get-Go and everything. And they're, they're big, sweeping places. And this place wasn't. It was confined. It was claustrophobic. You know, it was very, it kept everything focused on those characters while putting them in an environment that made mm-hmm. you feel as shitty as they did. Yeah. Except now watching it back, you're like, man, a lot of people buy cigarettes and newspapers with cash. Like, yeah. <laughs> just exact change. Like, Wait, all just, there, you, didn't have, you didn't have debit cards then. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I got my first debit card in like the late 90s, early 2000s, and the fucker didn't work. You yeah. know? No, but you still doing the old running the credit card, and you weren't going to do that. You had to go to the ATM, or as we call it, Western Pennsylvania, the Mac machine. And then you got your cash that way, tops. But I mean, still, you went and got in line at the bank, something that people don't do anymore either. But I, mean, I think it's the film is indicative of a time. I think the aesthetic absolutely fits that. It, it represents it perfectly yeah. in a lot of ways. Noah did, you, Noah, did you know that Stephanie calls me the Mac machine in the bedroom? Mm, that's good mm. because there's always a line and you're always it's always frustrating <laughs> to try to get anything out of yeah. it it's true it's over, very overdrawn every time over, <laughs> overdrawn every time doesn't work Everybody's half the time <laughs> there's suspicious placement of camera right above the action as well all of the all of these are facts oh fantastic so let's talk a little bit about legacy so this film and the filmmaking style uh, of Kevin Smith has a pretty long lasting legacy in a lot of areas, independent filmmaking, uh, his later forays into film, into TV, into comics, into podcasting. Like he's had his hands in a lot of pop culture related stuff. And I'm, I'll, I'll be completely honest with anybody listening to this. I'm a huge mark for Kevin Smith. Mm-hmm. Always have been a huge fan of his films, his books, uh, met him a few times. Worked uh, on his movie. Fun fact: I was in uh, Zach and Mary make a porno uh, with my Jufro at the uh, high school reunion. I was in that film. Uh, so yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the legacy. Uh, obviously, it has a long-lasting impact in a bunch of different areas. What do you guys think the long-lasting legacy of this film is? Noah, we'll start with you. Well, I mean, all the things that came after it, man. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll let me do in a typical Noah fashion. I'll go in some grandiose 
uh, answer that will pale in comparison to what Jones is going to lay down in some sort of really nicely said way. And then I'll, I'll ultimately slip in a dick joke somewhere in there because that's what I do. Uh, the great value version of what Jones does on things. But I think ultimately from the majority, I think you grand scheme, it opened the door for independent releases. And it was, I mean, you had reservoir dogs that was like, okay, here's an independently written from an unknown, but he's got enough people in it to, to be able to maybe, maybe let's give this movie a shot. And that opened the door for El Mariachi, which was, uh, you know, it doesn't require as much of money as Reservoir Dogs, but it was shot on location and got a lot of festival buzz. So let's go here. But really, ultimately, this movie is all unknowns, shot for no money in a place that nobody thinks of when they think of film, Jersey. So, uh, it, and what it did was it broke down the doors. Yeah, so and, think, it, and it made $3 million. $3 million on a $40,000 budget. <laughs> By the way. With distribution, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's it's incredible. And uh, it's one of the movies that put Miramax on on the radar, which uh, in turn directly affected some other Kevin Smith mainstays, i.e. Ben Affleck, uh, Matt Damon. But it opened up so many independent film avenues. So that's big picture. I think even more specifically, big picture, I would say probably this movie's and I and I for love it or hate what I'm about to say. But the largest impact this movie probably gave culture is Jay and Silent Bob. And the fact that they are the 90s, early 2000s, and even 2010s equivalent of Cheech and Chong for an entire generation. They've appeared in multiple films. That the, and it, they're, those characters, more than any other characters he's ever created or probably ever will create, are the most iconic. And they are probably, if you had to pinpoint and boil it down, to one contribution this film makes it's those two and all the other fun stuff i'm sure we'll talk about that they get up to in other movies but if i had to say what the most personal lasting legacy of, of this movie is is that this movie and the others like it that we mentioned mariachi and reservoir dog at least personally is the things that inspired me to tell stories and I tell at least two of us, three of us, four of us, right? And all the friends that we've had that we've ever made our movies with and told our stories with. This is the kind of thing when it came out that said we can do it, right? And it doesn't matter that you didn't go to the Hollywood system and just get a fucking camera, get a really good idea, tell a dick joke on it in front of that camera, and maybe somebody will eventually pay you to make more things. Um, I also want to say about the and but and also Kevin Smith, what he's contributed to things outside of this movie in his own films i mean kevin smith's podcast is important to the origins of this podcast but before that i still maintain that the modern format that we enjoy with podcasts now somebody asks a famous person questions about something specific and they go on all boils down to his q a's which were huge at the time it can't be understated yeah. that you would line up at comic conventions just to hear someone ask the same fucking question do you think ben affleck could play the shark in jaws and he would fucking babble about it. He would talk for two hours. He'd go <laughs> half an hour over his time. And it was incredible. But putting that and boiling that to a YouTube video and then an audio only format. And now the modern podcast fucking exists. So I think it's untold. We can go into just Kevin Smith as a subject and we still wouldn't scratch the subject of what he's done for the entertainment medium and, and uh, weird dudes that want to be funny everywhere. But yes, that's me. Doc, what do you think? Uh, man, how, how do you follow that? Uh, <laughs> You'll find a way. Elo so, eloquently and with less dick jokes than Noah did. <laughs> there it is. Or more. 
So, or 37 more. <laughs> uh, so, and like, what is what is legacy, right? Like, I know Noah really, and I feel really confident that you other two gentlemen will echo a lot of the similar sentiment that Noah just said. And I agree with all of it. Uh, I mean, literally every single thing uh, for the most part. Uh, <laughs> uh, to me, though, like, like, everybody has a dream. Everybody has something that they always wanted to do that they never did. Everybody. But few people, very few people are able to reach that goal and do something that they felt insurmountable, that they felt was something that was utterly impossible for whatever reason, be it uh, economic status or physical status, mental status, whatever it is, you know, your intellectual ability, it doesn't matter. There's something. Um, Kevin Smith took very little, very, very little, and through a whole lot of determination, trust uh, with the people he worked with and trust in himself, uh, a lot of credit cards uh, and a lot of sleepless nights, was able to accomplish something that people dream about. They dream about that, to, to then break into Hollywood and to show business not in a non-conventional way. Everybody dreams about that. No one wants to, you know, kiss ass and shake hands and this and that to get in and, 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 and play the game. They just want to have, have that moment where like their genius is on display, their creativity is on display. Uh, and he was able to do that. Uh, but for me personally, since we're, we'll talk personal, um, his legacy is this here, this conversation, the fact that that movie came out in 1994, uh, for fucking nothing, basically made a lot of money, got really famous, got really popular. Doesn't matter. Lots of movies came out in 1994. Few of them are talked about today in a podcast like this, uh, with the reverence that it has. You know, uh, I, I just have so much respect for that movie, uh, for that alone. Uh, and again, I cannot stress it enough. I don't think it's an amazing film. I think it's all right. It's got its funny moments, but it's that's not what's important to me. Uh, what's important to me is that it is an actual accomplishment that no one can turn a blind eye to. I think it's just incredibly, uh, it's just incredibly amazing what he was able to do uh, and still is able to do it you know, and continues to do it. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's to me, that's its legacy. That's what it means to me is that we can sit around and have this conversation about it to this day and people will continue to do so 40 years from now, 50 years from now, because that movie is that important to cinema. Very eloquently said. Well done, sir. Well done. Mac. Oh, I was really worried you guys were going to steal my thunder on this one. So I'm really happy you didn't. Um, I'm going to go in a very different direction with you guys. To me, the legacy of this film is very simple. A construction job of that magnitude would require a hell of a lot more manpower than the Imperial Army had to offer. <laughs> I'll bet there were independent contractors working on that thing. Plumbers, aluminum siders, roofers. Not just Imperials is what you're getting at. Exactly. In order to get it built quickly and quietly, they'd hire anybody who could do the job. You think the average stormtrooper knows how to install a toilet main? All they know is killing in white uniforms. All right, so even if an independent contractor is working on the Death Star, why are you uneasy with its destruction? All those innocent contractors hired to do a job were killed. Casualties of war for uh, casualties of a war they had nothing to do with. That is the fucking legacy of this movie. That interaction, that quip, that scene, 
where they talk about all the independent contractors who were killed on the second Death Star by the Rebel Alliance. Terrorists in their eyes um, is what this film is all about. Do you know how um, that scene originated? Um, I, I, should, I don't. So when, when he, Kevin Smith was in film school before he dropped out, he was in the lunchroom with one of his buddies and they were having a conversation about Star Wars. And then people started just casually joining the conversation like around the table. So they just kept getting more and more ridiculous. Like it started as a serious conversation and it ended up with that scene. That was, that was what the conversation evolved into. And he's like, I'm putting that in the movie. Like it's almost like a group of friends getting together on a Saturday night and playing star Wars trivia pursuit and almost getting into a fist fight after final, after the final trivial pursuit question gets asked. That only Mm -hmm. happened one time. It only happened one time. And we've never never played it again since we've (laughs) never played it again since. Um, but what that what that did is that for the first time, being a nerd was cool, right? Well said. For, for the first time, people like us that always had to kind of like lay low, have our conversations just to ourselves, couldn't actively talk about it in the lunchroom because some football player is going to come by and you know, knock our tray out of our hands or, you know, spill jello on our heads or something like that. It finally said, you know what, guys, you're fucking cool, too, because we're putting this in a movie that whether a lot of people see it or not, we're talking about it because you guys have this fucking conversation, too. And then a whole bunch of other people realized, not just the people that went to comic book stores, not just the people that like played dungeon dungeons and dragons, because there was no fucking Internet yet. There wasn't message boards where you realize there are millions of people that like the same stuff you do. And even some of the fucking cool kids that you didn't think would be down for this stuff were. That's what this movie did. Because what, three, four years later, we get Blade. We get the we get Marvel movies starting to get made. And we start to see that because there's conversation about this, it starts to shift the landscape that there are a lot of people that are in this world that think like he does, that talk like he does, that gets interested in having conversations like he does. That bit in that movie got more traction, I think, than anything else that the movie did. And probably is one of the things that most people remember from that movie. And I think it just laid the foundation for everything that we have today, where the nerds now get to rule the world, that the gamers have fucking stadiums full of people cheering to watch them play you know, Fortnite and watch them play Overwatch and everything and watch them play fucking um, Rocket League, right? None of that stuff happens, I think, if you don't have that conversation. Well, it might still happen, but it might have happened a lot later if that conversation about the Death Star doesn't happen. To me, that's the legacy of this film um, in, uh, in, in, a, uh, in a nutshell. Yeah, mm. no, no, very well said. And it, it has a very important place in pop culture in general, because pop culture has evolved over time. And what was considered pop culture then is not what's considered pop culture now. It's it's cra- drastically shifted. But I, I think Herb said it best when he mentioned making a dream reality, right? Because Kevin Smith had a dream that he wanted to make movies with his friends. And how does he do that? He shoots what he knows with his friends and it fucking hit 
and he made an entire career out of it. And you talk about legacy. So before there was the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there was the Viewisk Universe. Mm-hmm. Like, like that was really the first completely separate films that were all tied together because mainly Jay and Silent Bob <laughs> were, dro- were dropping in and starting to weave the threads of all these different movies. And as Kevin Smith's career took off, then there were bigger budgets. There were higher quality actors like Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, etc. cetera. Uh, George Carlin, you know, the likes uh, of, of what we've seen over the years. And, and really when it all comes down to it, it's about Dante and Randall because that's Kevin Smith was Dante and Brian Johnson was Randall and he built his whole career off those two characters. We come back to it in clerks two. Now we're coming back to it in clerks three, which comes out this year, which I'm super excited about for sure uh, to see where that goes. But you know, the long standing legacy is it inspired so many people like us to do the shit that we do. Uh, most of us haven't done it nearly as well or as successful, but it's inspired us to just go do it. Uh, because what we know now is we don't need a lot of resources to do it. And even if it's not like a mega hit, it doesn't matter because we're doing it for us and not necessarily for everybody else. So I think that's, that's a point that, you know, can't be undersaid enough is that the, the fil- filmmakers and the artists and the creative individuals that it inspired as a result of this film, whether you liked it or not, uh, it still is, is pretty powerful in the overall ethos of it all. Well said. Well done. I have this, uh, this, this vision of the end of capitalism and all of these Marvel movies and all of this stuff that we enjoy, right? Uh, that our nature, you can eventually have too much of a good thing. And I have this, this, this version of the apocalypse that happens where when Marvel movies start to diminish, then they start pulling other things in. And so the first of the series is the Marvel series versus the Star Wars universe. And then that gets involved in where, you know, the Super Smash Brothers cinematic universe, which is definitely eventually coming, blends in with that. And then we have the last movie ever made in which we stand on one side. We have Captain America, Batman, Darth Vader, the Mona Lisa, two of the remaining Ocean's Eleven characters against the DeLorean, not not Doc Brown, but the actual DeLorean, the Master Chief, Mickey Mouse, and several other things. And just at that last moment, in the last frame, Act 3, when all is lost, when Super, uh, the Thanos Zord, because also in an earlier year, the Power Rangers met the the Marvel Cinematic Universe is about to wipe out humanity. You hear fucking snoochie boochie and Kevin Smith's contribution to the end of all days. <laughs> Jay and Silent Bob show up in the very last movie that will ever be made. And then I- you close out the credits with Olaf singing Berserker. Yes. Which I'm sad nobody brought that up yet. <laughs> fucking Berserker. Oh, well, <laughs> you just did. <laughs> and 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 to piggyback off what Noah said, the two final two of the Ocean's Eleven characters, it's not two you think of. Yeah, it's not. It never is. No, never is. No spoiler. It's just Julia Roberts and her clone that comes in Ocean Seventeen. Uh, <laughs> so it's a it's a whole thing. We can go into a lot. There's a lot of the movie we're not going to get time to talk about. Right, the soundtrack, which I did not even remember that there were so many licensed songs in the soundtrack. 
And I've always been curious that Merrimax just dropped that shit in just because it, it could it could afford to after the fact, right? Uh, which really doesn't, the movie doesn't need it. Ultimately, you don't need shooting star by bad company in the scene where they go to the funeral. You know, yeah. but yeah, one thing, one last thing before I have my closing question I want to ask is, so do you guys know what the original ending was of Clerks? It's mm. not the ending that yeah. we got. Yes. So after Randall oh, yeah. throws the, I assure you we're open sign at Dante, Dante closes up. He goes behind the register, counts all the cash, closes it. A customer comes in, shoots him, steals the money, and the movie closes on Dante dying. So that was the original cut of the film that is shot or was shot. Uh, after screening, they're like, maybe you should cut it a few minutes sooner. <laughs> so, Damn. so if, <laughs> yes. if, if they would have ended that way as originally designed, do you think we'd be having the conversation we're having today? You know, as you say that, Jeff, it reminds me of, um, Robin Hood Men in Tights, where the Sheriff of Rottingham walks into the to the witch's, you know, dungeon and you know they're talking. He's like, you know, she's like, Yeah, your name's Latrain. Yeah, we changed it ninth century, but you changed it to Latrain? Yeah. Used to be shit house. <laughs> it's a good change. <laughs> it's a good change. When you said um, Robin Hood Menatites, I wasn't sure exactly where you I, I, I like to start way out here <laughs> and confuse you, you guys man? for about yeah. 10 seconds yeah. and then you bring brought it, it back. You brought it back. Yeah. I may, may I compliment you on your Richard Lewis, sir? Which, Thank you. Yeah, my, very well done. my Richard Lewis from that movie is exceptional. <laughs> we've just never really we've never really gotten into that for how many times I've watched that movie. So good. Um, yeah, the there's there's no way that, you know, some of the songs that were in here, um, you know, would get into that movie unless it, you know, had a little bit more of a budget to it. Um, I, I had a, a friend who did that for country music like their job they lived in nashville and their job was to license music to movies uh when they came and wanted to use a particular song and you know those things are always like six digits and this movie only costs thirty thousand dollars so um but yeah it's it's a good change that they got away from that ending i don't i don't think this movie um stands the way it does if you go ahead and have him get shot at the end so good change. Yeah. And you can't continue the story at all. And you know, for those spoiler alert who haven't seen clerks Two, clerks Two ends with them buying back the quick stop. So they go back to where they started. Uh, but without, if without that updated ending, we never would have got there. No. Yeah. I, I'm going to back you up on that. Uh, though it would probably movie isn't the same with a different ending, but would it not be somehow that much more 90s to randomly without <laughs> warning kill the main character of your independent low budget movie just to make some sort of fucking art house statement? Yeah. You know, and then Lisa Loeb starts singing over the blackness of the credits as, as it goes. Fucking Lisa. Yeah. Loeb. Yeah. They said it was a little too dark, so they made him change it. But as Dave said, it, I think it was a good change. A good change. So let's close this thing out with one last question. Mm. So, and it's not a question about the movie. 
it's a question about personal choices. So if you had to identify yourself as one character from Clerks, who would it be? Is it Rick Darris, the <laughs> one who fucked your girlfriend in high school? Is it Olaf? Could be. Is it Dante? Is it Randall? What do you guys think? Mac, you go first. Uh, I, we'll I, answer I, for you. You're Dante for sure. I, I was going to say, I, I wish I was anybody but Dante, but I know I'm fucking Dante. Um, there, when, when I'm very angry, I'm the dude who fucking comes to the quick stop and wants to get something and the fucking doors close because they're playing hockey. So I go upstairs to the roof. I do a face off. I drop the dude, shoot the ball into the fucking sewer. Sometimes I'm that guy. But yeah, I'm Dante. So easy done i know it you know it we all know it Fuck we all it. know it. yeah not even gonna try to go around anybody else doc who do, who would you relate with the most it's a shitty loaded question because all the characters suck um <laughs> they do. like they're all kind of shitty people i love it they uh, do they do yeah. Uh, and I, uh, and, and I swear to God, I'm not trying to be this guy would listen, you know, behind the scenes, uh, Jeff had messaged these questions, some of, not all, but some of the questions to the group chat for the podcast. And so I, I hadn't really thought of that really. So, um, you know, I thought about it a little bit before the show and I thought about it kind of in and out and I knew this question was coming and I swear to God, I'm not trying to be that guy, but I feel confident that I am, I could, I'm either you know, Randall or Dante at any given fucking time, depending on the day. Back then, especially, uh, depends on was there an order that day? Was I pissed off? Was I in a bad mood? Was I called in on the day off that day? <laughs> um, uh, but if I had to pick, I mean, to be fair, I feel confident uh, uh, Dante uh, because he he's just a miserable motherfucker, and I at work was a miserable motherfucker. <laughs> can can I jump back in just real quick here? Because Jones, no. I feel like I need to say this with you also. What? Um, we're not the fucking Dante that's going to like pine over our ex-girlfriend and fucking leave our current I mean, girlfriend I've been that Dante who before, just so. brought lasagna to work <laughs> and be like, oh, you're here. I'm going to take you out on a fucking date. Like, I'm not that Dante. Just want to throw that out there. I don't you were, were you really I, I see, Dante Jones. No, I see Jones more. Uh, a little bit. I think Jones is more of a silent Bob. Just words of oh, wisdom. Shit. He's calm, collected, and words of wisdom, trying to calm the situation down. I would one thousand the voice of reason. One thousand percent agree. Okay, with touch that. a Randall because he is the voice of reason. But when the most fucked up things happen to all of us, and we wondered who was the one who pushed us, there he is <laughs> sitting there, fucking shrugging in the background. Uh, yeah, I, w- I would agree with Simon Bob. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Noah, who would you be? I feel like these, these questions are always a trick question because um, when someone's like, what animal could you be uh, if you could be any animal? And you're like, well, the animal that I see myself as is definitely not the animal that other people see me you, as. You asked me about that question about my dick the first five minutes I did a podcast. Yeah, no, that's that's for your, our audience. I already know all about your dick, Dave. That wasn't for me. <laughs> that was for fucking Peru. Okay, so you're welcome, Peru. I mean, uh, you know, I, I say a lot of fucked up shit, like a lot. Uh, all the time. So one of the characters that's a lot of fucked up shit. <laughs> you do. And w- would be kind of a, a penchant for that. I don't know. And so, some days I feel, some days I feel, you know, 
I, I don't think I've ever really felt like a Dante, right? Because I, I, I feel Dante feels sorry for himself a lot in a lot of the movie. And I'm usually too self-obsessed to, to feel too bad for myself in that way. Um, I could kind of ironically relate to the guy that goes and dies from masturbating in the, in the bathroom a lot. You know, <laughs> we've all been there, the desperate need to get one out. Uh, but if I had to pick one, um, especially because Doc is uh, it's just so represents a silent Bob to me, I guess, especially in that time of my life, I feel like I'd, I'd be more of a Jay uh, in that regard, you know, just kind of saying the first thing that comes to my fucking mouth. And before my brain realizes that I shouldn't say that out loud, it's already hitting people in the face and they're they're looking at me or listening to me in their car on the way home from a family dinner. So I would say, <laughs> well, yeah, well, I guess it works out that I was going to say I relate the most to Randall. So now we have a Randall and a Dante and a Jay and a silent Bob. <laughs> Fucking nothing good. There it is. There it is, guys. I, I like it. <laughs> well, definitely. Well we should, we should, we should just, we, whenever we're desperate for content, we don't fucking understand what it is. We'll just perform clerks. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. And then I <laughs> yes. also would pay a yeah. lot of, a lot of money to bring drew on just to be snowball like <laughs> oh, just, just for that fucking Will line of dialogue <laughs> so <laughs> anyway i'll edit that little little space out boys what a wonderful what a wonderful and i by the way yes i do agree with your randall uh dissension jafar uh you you have have a pinch shot to stir all of us up and then <laughs> and then what are you fucking looking at me for i didn't say anything then just make you do shots and then bring up and then yeah. break out the Star Wars trivial pursuit. Okay. And then I'll put you in place till you stop being a little bitch. Listen, listen, I've seen Jeff in full Randall live in person during Christmas time at Toys R Us, where I'm coming back from lunch, and this woman comes running up to me in the electronics department at Toys R Us and starts and she's crying. She's bawling her eyes out. She's like, Dave. Dave, they're they're being so mean to me. They're yelling at me. I don't even know what's going on. I'm trying to get my game. And I'm like, what the fuck's going on? And Jeff's talking to a customer at the register and he goes around the register. Dave, don't you fucking talk to her. She's fucking full of shit. And I'm just like, what did I fucking walk into? <laughs> yeah, I was I was yelling at her. I made her cry. Oh, it was, amazing, it was man. just just amazing. It happens sometimes. And you know what else was amazing? This journey through the 90s and through a particular time in independent cinema guys this was great this was this was fun uh it, this might mm -hmm. be the very first and only time in nothing good history that the episode of the reviewing a movie doesn't go way longer than the actual movie we were reviewing <laughs> <laughs> so so kudos close. to us close. Close. not quite there. We're close yeah. we're getting there you know we'll, we'll fucking i can say it. a whole bunch of shit more about this movie if you'd like me to but for sake of time <laughs> I'll cut it there. Stay tuned for next time when we cover <laughs> Clerks 2. Clerks 2. Rosario Dawson's in Clerks 2. So we're oh, doing, she definitely we're is. Fucking doing Clerks 2. Uh, I swear to God. And we're going to talk about GoBots too. So it's going to be fun. And Lord of the Rings, which, oh man, there's so much to unpack in that one. But speaking of unpacking, uh, stick with us. We hope you've enjoyed uh, whatever the hell you would call what we just did to you in your ears. And, uh, you know, always more content. Doc, <laughs> Doc, what's, why don't you tell the wonderful listener what we got coming up next week? Uh, so next week we are going to, and I'm, I'm looking forward. This will be kind of fun. 
Uh, we're going to talk about the Sims franchise, uh, that lovely sandbox PC video, handheld, mobile, online, social game experience that everybody either A, has played it, played a variation of it, or knows somebody who has. <laughs> oh, everyone is going to have played the Sims and talk about it, except except Dave. Dave, you got a week, man. Fucking sit down. <sighs> I don't know how much Get time you on that you shit. You better. You better work. Yeah real fast dave to be able to play the sims (laughs) in time for this episode but uh we'll see you next week for that guys yeah it'll be fun yeah one last thing one last one word impression of clerks and i want to leave things off jafar this is your baby what is your last word impression i'm not even supposed to be here today you just blew that one word limit right out of the fucking water okay yeah i don't care about your word count you counted 37 dicks earlier. I can 36. count four words. I stopped at 37 because <laughs> that's where she should have stopped. Okay. <laughs> Matt. Up to and including. Mm-hmm. 37 dicks? That's good. Doc. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've been waiting for that. <laughs> Yeah, and I will end it one word. By the way, gents, <laughs> I will end it with one word. All Snowball. the rules. Snowball. <laughs> hey guys, thanks for listening. And if you liked what you heard, please be sure to tell a friend or two to check us out. You can follow this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and much more to make sure you get the latest episodes and all of our cheeky cheeky shenanigans and don't forget to check us out on social media we have our nothing good page on facebook we're on twitter at nothing good pod and at insta at nothing good podcast and while you're there drop us a line say hello enjoy some of our shit posting and shameless promotion or hell even check out our merchandise i promise it's really sweet we'll see you next time